Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's dive in. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. So virtual summits, boy, were they going away the dodo bird just a few months ago. We're thinking, oh, another virtual summit where I get to be on a smorgasbord with 25 other presenters and like four people will sign up for this. And really the investment is my time and and the ROI is going to be upside down. And can I just do live streams, podcasts? Then this bug came along and virtual summits are once again hotter than ever. It's one of those things where no matter how many flashes in the pan come and go, Once the dust settles, once the air clears, virtual summits are one of those things that will always, always, always be there. It's like email marketing. There have been so many deaths of email marketing, but in the end, what's the one thing that always survives every flash in the pan? Email marketing, having a list, being persistently consistent with communicating with said list. So today, we're going to give you some insights into how to create your million-dollar virtual summit. Guiding us through this is Liam Austin. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a virtual event strategist, having launched over 15 virtual summits and online business networking events, hosting over 400 speakers whilst educating 100,000 plus business owners through his programs. As the co-founder of Entrepreneurs HQ, Liam is a specialist in making it easy for people to create their own online summits and virtual conferences. So Liam Austin, the weather's fine, come on in. Cheers. What a welcome. Thanks very much, Adam. It's, uh, it's certainly a warm day over here in Malta. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We've had people from all over the world. Uh, one of our guests was phoning in from the middle of a rainforest in Colombia. That was an interesting interview. And another time we had somebody who was in an airport in Tel Aviv, and you could hear the jets over his head while we were speaking. This is the first time we've ever had somebody from Malta. So once again, we become even more of a global show, and I couldn't be more excited for that. Speaking of excitement, before we dive in, and I know there's a lot of things that we need to get into today, you are going to fire hose our audience with brilliance. I, I know that from our green room conversation. Let's take a step back. Some of our listeners are leaning in right now. They have a separate browser tab open. They're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles, discovering a gentleman named Liam Austin, and maybe checking out his website, virtualsummitclass.com. There are a lot of things they could be doing. So while they're doing that, before we dive in, if you could just tell us a little bit more about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, sure. So, uh, how far do we want to go back here? But I'll, I'll keep it short. We can dive in <laughs> wherever you want along the along this track. But uh, Entrepreneurs HQ started off uh, as just a LinkedIn group when LinkedIn allowed you to create groups for the first time on its platform. So that was in two thousand and eight, and that group 
originally was called the Small Business Network, and it grew to one of the largest groups on LinkedIn for small business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, which I kind of ignored largely up until 2015 when uh, it was reaching the 100,000 member size uh, of the group. And there were many people messaging me, connecting with me on LinkedIn and just saying, well, as the owner uh, of this group, you know, what, what are you doing with it? Like, uh, can you, can you do a little bit more than what you're currently doing, which is nothing. Uh, so I said, okay, well, what do you guys want? Uh, and really they were looking for more connection and to learn from each other. So we originally started running some weekly webinars, uh, which were just teaching them different topics that they'd suggested were interesting for them. Uh, and after every single week of setting up that landing page, uh, the email sequence, having to bring on the guests live and, uh, you know, so much work was happening every single time to set this up on a weekly basis that I was looking at the conversion rates and the money we were making in it. And it wasn't great at all. Uh, and yeah. there was a lot of work being put into it. And so, Uh, What we noticed was that there was a lot of uh, response whenever we ran a webinar in regards to using LinkedIn to prospect as a small business owner. So how to generate leads and sales from LinkedIn. That was always a a killer topic. Uh, We always made some money and we always got the highest conversion rate in terms of opt-in and building our email list. So uh, after doing a few of these, I, I realized, well, why can't we just double down on this uh, and bring all these experts together all at once for yeah, what's known as a virtual summit, an online conference, uh, some kind of virtual event where all these speakers are speaking on this one topic all at once. Uh, because I'd seen that, yeah, this uh, has been around for since the early 2000s, uh, the virtual summit uh, in different, uh, different, what, what, what's the word for it? Uh, uh, Let's just say stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Different stuff. Like it was, uh, and, and I saw it was working. It's always been working across those uh, decades before I, I came across it. And so we ran our first virtual summit on uh, the LinkedIn topic called it the LinkedIn success summit. We had 15,000 people uh, register to attend that event. So we built our email list by 15,000 people. Uh, and off the back of that, uh, we were only selling tickets uh, to an upgrade of an all access pass. They're pretty standard, uh, where we made $50,000. So just over $3 per opt-in, which was in the, in the space of just two weeks as a brand new business was way more than we'd been making from these individual webinars on a weekly basis. And was so much easier to pull together in the fact that we could combine all our efforts into this one date, into this one event, and really make sure that we published it and marketed it as, as a festival, as a big party, as opposed to these one-off webinars, which didn't get a lot of traction. We had maybe a 20, 30% opt-in rate. And with our virtual summits, we've seen uh, over the years, we get anywhere between a, a 60 to 75% opt-in rate from visitor to email list uh, subscriber. So that's really the journey so far. We've run 17 of these events, hosted them ourselves, but we also have run many more for, for clients. You know, what's interesting about that is one of the themes I pick up is the idea of collaboration. And we've discovered that collaboration, particularly when it comes to list building and community building, is one of those things that sometimes gets put down on by certain experts in the industry. Uh, I I sat 
and watch somebody. And this is somebody I really respect. I have, uh, they've taught me a lot. One of my mentors. So I don't want to say the name because I don't want them to think I'm criticizing because I'm really not because I saw their point. And they drew these circles explaining how when this group JVs together and then, the, you know, this person does their thing, this person does their thing, this person does their thing. And they all share that they all share with each other's list that ultimately they're spreading the list among three different people and it's sort of bastardizing their communities. I see that point, but I also see that by working together, you can triple the impact. So let's say you have somebody on your list that has decided for whatever reason your offers are not necessarily exactly what they need. But then you collaborate with somebody else who and they end up on that person's list because you're working together, you're collaborating, and that person has just the offer that person needs. You're an affiliate, you get 50% or 10% or whatever it is, depending on whether it's a product or a service. You've now made money you otherwise didn't have because that person was just sitting on your list not buying from you. Yeah, I think you know, yeah. every single business in the world uh, you know, benefits from strategic alliances. From, from partnerships. And I think really it's naive to think that someone on your list is only on your list and not on any of your competitors lists or right. other people in your industry. I think it's naive to think that. And I think it's not really a great approach uh, uh, to do business when, you know, you're not collaborating and you're not trying to help, you know, your, your audience, your, your subscriber really succeed and, and, and make a informed decision or choice in regards to, you know, who they think is best to, to take them on the journey to help them succeed or to, to solve uh, their problems and issues. Right. I think there's another issue too is, and I've heard this from folks who participated in virtual summits and they said, well, I didn't make any money and I really was mostly just having my people opt into this list. I didn't really get many new subscribers out of that. And I think that really when I hear stories like that, it's just a matter of a virtual summit that really wasn't well managed. And I also see, you know what, I'm going to save this question for later, but I'm just going to bookmark it for right now. When participants in a virtual summit are uneven in terms of who has a really big list, who has a really big social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's try and work that in a little bit later in our conversation. But I really want to jump in now because we're already 10 minutes into this. You have so much. First of all, I just want to be sure that we're clearly defining our terms. So if you could just give me the Liam Austin definition of what a virtual summit is, as opposed to a Zoom meeting or a webinar. And I know this sounds almost like Captain Obvious, but I want you to say it because one of the objections I hear to virtual summits is, why well, can just turn on my camera and do a live stream? Yeah. So what we're, what we're really doing is uh, similar to in my explanation of how we, we came about this. We're taking, say, one single webinar or one expert talk, and we're gathering them all into one room, all into one, say, event, virtual conference, virtual event, uh, where each of the speakers are, are sharing their expertise and knowledge on that specific topic. So there may be 30 speakers speaking across five days, all talking about their own unique um, version of how they've succeeded in XYZ topic or if in, in that's in regards to a business sense or uh, in regards to any other topic, they might be just sharing their experiences and knowledge. Yeah, I think that, I, I think that's good too. And at the same time, you know, I've seen some very successful examples of virtual summits. One of my own clients recently hosted a virtual summit where attendees paid for tickets 
and they made a nice little haul. Uh, the NDA I'm under does not allow me to even give a hint how much money that is, but let's just say it was transformational for their business and leave it at that. And the best part was is, and I am in a position where I can sort of hint at this, the number of people who actually paid to attend wasn't all that huge. And the percentage of people who attended every single session was astronomically low. So, uh, so I only say this because I wanna make the point that you can gain a lot of traction in your industry. You can form alliances, you can grow your list, and you can get a lot of things done. What I can tell you about this event is uh, this client of mine now has people banging down their door saying, when's the next one? And they have a whole new group of speakers saying, hey, I heard about your first one, or I was on your first one. How do I get on your next one? So you see the alliances forming, and you see the communities coming together. Love that. And, I mean, and that's, uh, that's a successful uh, virtual event, and I, I love those, those stories. Yeah. So overall, based on what you're seeing right now in real time, based on your work, uh, do you think that virtual summits are going to replace trade shows and conferences? I'm going to leave that open and I'll share my thoughts. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, looking at the, the virtual events and, uh, and how it's changed over just uh, this year, 2020, that people have come to realize or, or even been forced to realize that uh, this is an option for people. Uh, they yes. maybe have been organizing on in-person conferences around the world and, and running events and, and skipping from city to city across the country uh, to make these events happen. Uh, and by being for, by everything being shut down and not allowing uh, these in-person events to take place uh, and having been forced to move online, they're actually seeing that the results can be even better uh, with higher profit margins if they're running them online. So there are some, you know, positives and negatives to, to both. And I think they absolutely complement each other. So I wouldn't say that they're going to replace the in-person event uh, for some businesses, potentially they may, uh, we're purely a, a virtual business. Uh, that's all we do. We run uh, virtual events and uh, had, have had over a hundred thousand people go through those virtual events. And I don't think if we did them in person, that would ever be possible, but I do believe that they complement each other, the virtual and the in-person event. And I think it's more of a, and rather than an if or, or. All right, here's my thoughts. Seven years ago, I moved from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Las Vegas, Nevada. One of the driving reasons, aside from the fact that I wasn't built for snow and I just, you know, didn't really like where I came from, candidly, I, I've got family and friends there, but I didn't really like living there, and I've said so. What, aside from all that, one of the reasons I came to Las Vegas, because uh, my accountant and I noticed how many um, lingering expenses we were paying off that were floated from all the trips I made to Las Vegas and Los Angeles and Phoenix to attend conferences and seminars. So we thought, maybe I should just move to Las Vegas, because that's going to put me closer to speaking opportunities and seminar opportunities, and then I can just drive to LA and Phoenix. You know, I like driving. I like a good road trip. And those are actually some pretty fun road trips with a lot of scenery and you're generally moving pretty fast. You're not sitting in a lot of traffic. So it was a, it was a good deal for me. Now, after I made that move, I began getting a lot of offers from people saying, hey, we're doing this uh, conference in Baltimore. We're doing this conference in Orlando. You want to come? And I said, gee, wow, 
I used to live in Pittsburgh. I would have come if you had done this two years ago, but I'm in Las Vegas now. So, uh, well, so I'll stay on your list and we'll stay in touch. And if you ever find yourself over on the West Coast, you can find me in the front row. Let me make one further point. I had a speaking engagement uh, after I moved to Las Vegas. It was booked in uh, someplace on the East Coast. I can't remember where. I found out that there were going to be 13 people in the room and nine of them were people I already knew. Was I really going to travel across the country to hang out with a bunch of people? And when I say nine people I knew, I mean, God love them. They weren't, my, they weren't really my prospects. So I actually called the organizer up and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, unless you can find like 30 more people in the next week to buy tickets, uh, yeah, basically I'll, I'll still do this, but I want you to put me on a projector and I'll zoom in for this one because that just wasn't worth it. Now to my point there, Liam, is I don't think that all in-person events were really meant to be in-person events. Some of them actually would work better virtually. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point there, and and that that really brings up the fact that yeah, there's there's so many different types of virtual events that can be done. From you being the the only expert or teacher at the event to having you know up to thirty, even more. I've seen up to a hundred speakers on event on an event, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. Uh, yeah. But- uh, there's certainly a, a variety of different events and the technology now is advanced so far that uh, we can replicate pretty much 80% of what we do with our in-person events online. It's just maybe the experiences has changed. Yeah. Uh, here's another great question. And I'm going to preface this by saying something. Uh I cover this in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. I share that I'll get up on stages or I'll speak on virtual events. And if it's appropriate for the topic I'm speaking on, at some point I'll say that if there's, there's this one thing that a lot of people have in their business, and if they have this in their business, they, they don't need it, they shouldn't want it, and the best thing they could possibly do for themselves is get rid of it. What is that I say? Traffic to your website. If you're getting traffic to your website, throw it out. You don't need it. You'll be better off without it people lean in they say what did he just say the earth is flat what kind of drugs is this guy on if they're good drugs give me some well here's my point everybody is in any form of digital or online marketing any type of marketing these days because it's all online anyway even if it's local is going on about getting more traffic to your website well what's traffic traffic is the reason i work for my balcony i don't want to deal with traffic and what's a website is that an about page, a home page, a product page, a webinar page, a sales letter, a uh, contact page, privacy policy, uh, products listing? Each one of those things can be a website in and of itself, and one website can consist of all those things. So instead of traffic to your website, I recommend people get visitors to their web pages. See, we're just changing the terms. Visitors to their web pages who conform with the three P's of website conversions, pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. My point being is if you're doing something that everybody else is doing, one way you can stand out is to rename it. Now let's translate that to advertising on Facebook. Okay, there are a thousand agencies and I think I've interviewed about a dozen of their owners on the Business Creators Radio Show over the years who teach people how to advertise on Facebook and or offer the service where you pay them and they do it for you. And I can tell you that 
as far as the mechanics of how they do it and what they were willing to share with our listeners here at the Business Creators Radio Show, they all said substantially the same thing because there's only so much really to know about that aside from keeping up with trends and changes in algorithms. But what makes each of those guests special on my show is their name, their personality, their terminology, and the combination of their brilliance and their passion that they bring to it that creates a relationship point. So I'm thinking if you were to do a virtual summit and it was about how to make money advertising on Facebook and you had 15 Facebook ad specialists, I might say, you know, if I really wanted to spend this much time trying to figure it out, I'd just pay somebody. I'm not coming to your summit. Am I right about that? And then the larger question is, what types of topics do work well for online conferences and virtual summits? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. Uh, when we were doing our, uh, organizing our first event uh, on LinkedIn, uh, this is in 2015, and I knew the platform really well. Like, I had one of the largest groups on LinkedIn, and I thought, well, how many topics can we really cover here? right? There's, there's your profile, you've got groups, uh, you know, what else really is there? And as I started pre-recording the interviews at this stage, I realized that every single application that came through from a speaker uh, suggesting the topic that they wanted to speak on was unique. And we ended up having 35 speakers all speaking on their unique system or process to use LinkedIn as a prospecting tool and take them off and make appointments, generate leads and, and convert them into customers, which I thought was like unbelievable. Right. And it's, it's, it's really interesting that there's now, uh, you know, podcasts and different training and books out there. And it's, it's surprising how many different methods that people can come up with <laughs> to use a, a certain platform. And, you know, you're talking about Facebook there and Facebook advertising in particular. Well, you know, I'm not an expert on that, but I'm sure the experts there would be able to come up with, you know, 20, 30 different strategies uh, that they could teach in say a 20 to 30 minute session. So uh, depends on your approach on uh, your topic and what kind of results you're promising your attendees and making sure you deliver on that promise is really the, the end goal. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, I'm just thinking in terms of what in your experience uh, are the types of things and, you know, maybe you have mm. specific examples or maybe you just have a criteria for people to consider if they may be considering launching a virtual summit, how do they position this in such a way where people say, yeah, this is different than just another cattle call of the same expert saying the same thing. What makes this one unique? Yeah, sure. So we see the, the best results coming from coaches, consultants, course creators, people who are already hosting events, uh, whether that's you know, in person or, or virtual, agency owners, community thought leaders, authors, that kind of thing. And when we see a successful event, it really comes down to, to the promise. Uh, the promise of a specific result or the solution to a, a problem. And that promise is really what makes people show up uh, and tune in to the event. Now, there might be uh, some kind of headline uh, similar to, to the one that you mentioned prior about uh, you know, you don't need traffic to your website. Yeah. Something that really just like piques people's attention that 
helps your event stand out from the crowd. Uh, and you do need that. You do need something that, that really just piques people's interest. It's like that purple cow. How do you, how do you stand out from the sea of virtual events that just seems to be building and building uh, this year? So, so how, do you, how do you create that and what do you need to do? And part of that is, well, you can stand out from your virtual conference, virtual event by having 20 to 30 of the leading experts in your niche all speaking at this event. So just entering your name and email address for a free ticket to, your, to this virtual event uh, is, a, is a pretty much a no-brainer. That's why we get quite a high opt-in rate with um, yeah. the, the summits we run versus, say, the, the single seminar or, or webinar where there may be just one or two sessions. Maybe I can miss that. But when there's this major festival going on over here where all the people that I know, all the books, the authors that I've read, uh-huh. the experts that I follow are all hanging out over here for these three, five days. I want to be part of that. I want to at least see what's going on. I'm going to enter in my name and email address just to make sure that I don't miss out. You know, this, uh, what, what struck me as you were explaining that is the word perspectives. So, uh, for example, mm. if we were to make up a virtual summit, we were to call it, uh, you know, get rid of traffic to your website, it's stupid. I'm just making this up. We could uh, put together a virtual summit based on different perspectives on how to build an audience, how to turn that audience into a responsive audience. And it doesn't have to be all people saying substantially the same thing. It could be different pieces of the puzzle that come together. And then as far as any offers that they make on the virtual summit, it's up to the listener or the viewer to decide, well, where are they in their business right now? And what's the most logical investment based on how far they've come and where they need to be from here and how far they can reasonably get within the next six to 12 months. That to me is a, is a reasonable formula. Another could be if it's about a certain type of thing, but the perspectives are just a lot different for let's think, for example, product launches. Now, if you've ever turned on a computer and looked at something having to do with online marketing, you've probably heard of Jeff Walker's product launch formula. I first acquired it in 2006. Then I acquired the new version in 2015 and it added the annual subscription for 197 bucks. So I get the latest release every year without having to pay $2,000 over again. One of the most brilliant things Jeff Walker ever did. And I've even pointed out that he missed out on nine years of revenue from me because he didn't do that. And anyway, um, and then you also have the live launch formula uh, created by Kelly Roach, who's been on the Business Creators Radio Show on a different topic maybe five years ago. What Kelly did was basically take the idea of the Facebook challenge model and develop a whole system around that to the point where it's emerged as a competitor to product launch formula but the two things are not anywhere near the same. In fact, they tend to, in some ways, be mutually exclusive. So you put Jeff and Kelly on a virtual summit together, and that gives people the opportunity to see different approaches to launching a product, launching a service, filling a mastermind, whatever they choose to do. And to me, it would be worth it to sign up for that virtual summit because now I'm not hearing seven people saying the same thing. I'm hearing those two and maybe you find four or five other experts on launches. And uh, now you're getting five or six different perspectives. It becomes a curriculum, a seminar, something along those lines. I can't remember where I saw it, but about a week ago, I, I saw a live stream pop up into my newsfeed and apparently it was promoting a program called Fuck Launches. 
So I, I, I checked it out for about 30 seconds, and I think the gist of it was don't do launches at all. Focus on long-term relationship building. I think that's what it's about. Uh, but I might want to have them in there, too, because now we have a challenge perspective. So you put all that together in a virtual summit, hell, yeah, I'd want to I'd want to come at minimum for, for entertainment value. And along the way because I'm enjoying seeing these variants and, and topics and approaches that it gets me thinking and I begin to see myself creating launches and filling my programs and selling my products. And because I'm not being told there's just one way to do it, I can find a way that aligns with my truth. And I'm therefore more likely to rave about your virtual summit and to invest in something that gets you a commission as the owner of the summit. I love that. I think that's great. And, and it opens up opportunities for not just a, a presentation or interview style session, but why don't we have a debate? Let's get Kelly and Jeff, you know, on a hot yeah. seat debating this, uh, this topic, right? And uh, the benefits of each side. I think that yeah. would be really cool, really interesting. Okay, so now we're talking about panel discussions, I think. Um, what do you, I mean, do you think the panel discussions work well? I, I, when I go to like live seminars and such, to me, I think sometimes the panel discussions are really great because just like in the hypothetical example we're creating here, we're getting different approaches to the same solution, comparing their methodology. Sometimes I think panels are just a way to, uh, to throw a stop at somebody who really wanted to be a speaker, uh, but they didn't fit in the main lineup or something to do because they had an empty hour. So do you think the panel approach works well for virtual summits? And if so, what do we need to know about that to make that work? Yeah, sure. So I think to, again, help your event stand out from the crowd, I think there should, and keep people engaged and, and showing up each day, then there should be a variety of different formats that the event and the sessions at the event uh, actually produce. So there may be the keynote session, um, there may be the, the interview, the, the Q&A, uh, the, the slide presentation, uh, the TED talk, uh, this panel discussion, <laughs> debate, uh, whatever it may be. And, and there's many ways uh, to, to do this, to, to make it interesting and have sessions go for 10 minutes, others going for an hour or, and mixing it up a little bit where there's networking, brainstorming, masterminding going on uh, within the event as well. So, so how, how does that work and how do you decide the, the best one? And this comes back to how we, create our, our million dollar virtual summit, which is looking at what our end goal is at the end of the day. And when I say our end goal, normally with the clients we work with, we look at having a high ticket offer to sell off the back of the event. So whatever virtual event it may be, we want to have a high ticket offer that's uh, $10,000 or more uh, that we can sell to the clients, uh, to the attendees who uh, go through the journey with us in the summit. So once we know that we have a high ticket offer, that um, it works, you know, it's in demand, people are willing to pay for it. We've got customers, we've got buyers for our high ticket offer. Then we want to reverse engineer the whole funnel uh, back down to the restart of the event to decide, yeah, you know, what is that? Uh, the title, the name of the event, what is the promise, what kind of topics do we need to cover to take people on the journey so that they come to the end of the journey of the event and say, I need help with this, I need more information. And the high ticket offer is perfectly placed at the end 
to take people on who want to go on that, uh, that journey. So what are those topics? Uh, figuring that out, who are the best speakers or experts to bring in to talk on those, what, what best uh, format of sessions uh, need to be pulled together to ensure that people are in, in that position where they've gone through the event. They're like, wow, this is like the, they're speaking directly to me. This is my community. This is my tribe. Oh, I, I have this issue. I have this problem. Oh, that's a great solution. Oh, I love getting that result. Oh, I want to do that too, but it looks like too much work. Boom. Perfect. Here's the high ticket offer that solves the issue perfectly for the attendees. And that's what we really want to think when we're creating these events is what is the end goal in mind? What is our high ticket offer? We're selling off the back end, and then reverse engineer the funnel from there. See, that's great. And that leads to a couple of inquiries I have here. Uh, and I'm going to kind of put them together. So one of this part of what I'm going to share is actually a question that was shared with us by somebody who knew you were going to be on the show and submitted it to me via social media in advance. And another is just my own observation. When we have in-person seminars and things along those lines, whether it's one person presenting the whole thing or they have a speaker lineup, often those things are hosted and they run two or three days. The idea is that the high ticket offer is join our $10,000 mastermind. And it's a pretty effective model for filling $10,000 masterminds or $25,000 masterminds or $50,000 masterminds. So the model that I see most commonly is, let's say it's a two-day event. So day one will be speakers, teaching, events, things like that. And then day two, uh, they do some subtle social proof and then they hit you with the offer right before lunch. And they say, I'll be here for over lunch if you wanna ask me any questions. So in the in-person model, you can logistically make that happen. The challenge that, and this is the question that was shared with me, the challenge is with the virtual model, how do you replicate the same thing? And to develop their question even further, they were on a, a virtual seminar that lasted two days, and they noticed that when the offer was made to join the mastermind, that they didn't really have a chance to go do that because they had to stay focused on their screen because there was virtual summit stuff going on right in front of them. So when it comes to making these high ticket offers, what are some of the differences between an in-person event we need to keep in mind? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like uh, the, the distractions of, of being at home in front of the computer, you've got notifications popping up. You can easily um, get diverted across to Facebook or someone's knocking on the door, family member, you know, wanting dinner or whatever yeah. it might be, right? And so I think it's, it's about um, making sure with, with these types of events where we're making the offer at the event itself, and there's various ways to, to make the offer, whether it's uh, post the event or during the event. If we're talking about during the event, we want to make sure people go through the experience and are uh, paying attention uh, for the whole you know, journey so that once we're making the offer, they're, they're really primed. Uh, so these, these kind of events, we want to have uh, at least some buy-in from the attendees. So we wouldn't be really giving a free ticket away. We'd want to have them um, stump up, whether it's $50, $100, $200, $300, whatever it may be, yeah. uh, making sure that they have some skin in the game. They've, they've committed to showing up. Uh, they're actually uh, telling their family that, look, I'm taking three days to go to this virtual event. It's really important for my business that 
I'm, I'm there from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or whatever hours uh, they need to be there. There's a sign on the door saying, you know, do not disturb mom or dad or partner, whatever it may be. Uh, and you, uh, the attendees are fully focused. And yeah. to, to get those attendees fully focused, it's all about uh, onboarding them prior to the event, the registration of it and setting the expectations that we expect all attendees to be you know, 100% fully committed uh, during those days, setting up, you know, those um, concepts or steps where they're like, okay, put the sign on your door, sit down with your family and, and spend five minutes just explaining why this is important to you and why you need to take three days off to, to pay attention to this event. And once you've got that from your attendees, you've got that commitment, then it's a, it's a lot easier for them to not be distracted uh, and I think that's what it's really about, making sure you set expectations, you make sure that the promise is really aligned with your target audience and they want to find a solution to this. Uh, if those things don't really line up, then there's not a big incentive for the attendee to be you know, making the effort to stop everything else that they're doing to, to pay attention because it's easy when they're getting on a plane and, and flying somewhere that all those distractions are gone. They can't escape right. the room when they're in it, but at home when they're in front of a computer, they can easily just stand up and walk away. So we want to make sure that uh, they're committed, that they're turning the, the camera, the video on, uh, that they're present, uh, that we're letting, acknowledging them that they're there. Uh, and, you know, along the way, maybe we're, we're sharing prizes and giving away uh, gifts at, um, random times throughout the event just to make sure that people are you know staying engaged and being there and there's just little tips and tricks along the way to keep that engagement and keep uh, people showing up um, you know day after day I think that there's a lot to that so what you're dealing with is creating mind frames and creating the picture that people are going to see a tactic we find frequently on one-off webinars and live streams is the host We'll say, all right, now what we need you to do is we need you to turn your phone off. And as they're saying that, they pick up their own smartphone and they turn it off. I know before I host episodes of the Business Creators Radio Show, I need to make sure that not only is my smartphone off, but my Skype is off on the computer that I'm using to do the stream, like the conversation I'm having with you right now. Because what inevitably happens when I forget to do this is one of those handful of people, and these are great people known as clients, uh, who know that because they pay me big retainer money, that if they, they, in fact, this is part of how I frame the relationship with them. If you need to speak with me, because you're one of those lucky people that gets to give me like money in exchange for my support in your business, and I take that very seriously, uh, you can go to my Skype, and if you see the little green dot, you can type three words, got a sec, and if I have that sec, I'll give it to you. Uh, I don't want to see that, and I also don't want to see their SOS and 911 messages while I'm having the conversation with you, because candidly, there ain't nothing in this world other than something literally being on fire, I, at least I've discovered this over 16 years of being in this industry, that is that important that it can't wait the last 20 minutes you and I have. Yeah. So from your viewers' perspective on the Telesummit, why I bring this up is they will be experiencing the same thing. They'll, you know, they'll say, okay, I'm setting aside three days for this virtual summit, but, uh, you know, uh, I really got to deal with this one client issue. No, you don't. 
And if you're, and if your business is to the point where you can't take a day or two off to grow your business through continuing education, because some customer or some client might need something, A, you got to work on managing your clients and B, you got to work on managing your organization as a whole, because if that really all falls on you, and there's nobody else who could, at minimum, fend them off for you until you can get to them, then there, there's some chunks missing. And what I'm hearing from you, Liam, and tell me if I'm repeating this correctly, is it's incumbent upon the organizer of the summit to help educate their listeners to manage their stuff, or I'll say just manage all that bullshit that comes through so that they don't get distracted and miss out. 100%. I think you hit the nail on the head there. There's so many things that could distract us, but you know, what's the most important thing? And it's about making sure that the attendees realize that you know, this is, uh, they, they need to set aside time uh, for this event because it's important for them. Yeah. Uh, in my podcast, Creators Institute curriculum, we actually walk through with the host how to frame it for the guest. And one of the things that we lean on is keep your email open until you have the person on the line. Just like when we were bringing you on the line here, I had my email open until I had a connection with you, just in case you were having a hard time connecting with me and you were reaching out by email saying, yo, I'm here, what's going on? Or this link isn't working, what can I do? That sort of thing. But once I had you on the line, the email got shut down because I don't want to see it for an hour. Uh, same with, uh, uh, I mean, right now you and I aren't, connected by Messenger or Skype because the format of the Business Creators Radio Show doesn't mandate it. But if you're running the type of show that does mandate that level of connection, we also walk them through doing a test to make sure that you can message each other and see it and have them actually message each other so that each can be sure that they have their, they have their sound alerts turned off so it's not a distraction. So we do it with podcasts, we do it with webinars, and I think it's even more important when it comes to virtual summits. So that may seem like a small detail, but if you want to make the high ticket offer and you want to keep people in for a greater period of time, I'm really glad we were able to spend at least five minutes on the whole importance of preparing your audience's environment. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's just vital, isn't it? Like when you're setting expectations uh, for your events, uh, you know, framing, as, as you said, uh, the event itself, but also the positioning marketing of it uh, to attract those types of people into your event. I mean, it's a, it's a, something that you want to filter throughout all of your communications throughout your team. And uh, even if you're you know, running this yourself, like most of our clients are solopreneurs uh, that have these high ticket offers, maybe they're 10 K 25, 50 K. And at the back of the event, if they've got a 25 K offer, they know they need to sell 40 of them to make it a million dollar event, but potentially yep. they might need to run two events and uh, two different styles of virtual events. And, you know, we've talked about the virtual summits uh, you know, these, three-day virtual events or seminars but there's you know challenges and, and various different ways that we can uh, achieve these high ticket sales but I love the the virtual summit because it does so much more than just um, build your e email list it actually really does build your authority and credibility and build those relationships with uh, the influencers in your market uh, to potentially create some strategic alliances uh, and partnerships long into the future. Okay, now let's get into email lists and contacts. I have a couple things I'm, I'm wondering about that. 
-hmm. when we when they hear the virtual summit model a lot of cases it's simply uh come to a presentation for us and we'll give you a copy of everybody who signed up for the virtual summit their names and email addresses now i've seen cases where you don't get those contacts and then there's another question of should people be paid to present on virtual summits and should there be revenue splits on offers and things like that so I'm just gonna, I just put out there that all those variables exist and I don't believe, you may tell me otherwise, but I don't believe there's a one size fits all answer, but in determining such things, do the speakers get copies of the list? Do they get a piece of the action? How does, do they pay to be on it in the first place? What are some of the criteria that we should consider in making those decisions? Yeah, sure. So, uh... Yeah, there's no one size fits all, I think is, yes. is the answer here. However, like uh, the way that we've run our events and for our clients is we really are looking for uh, strategic alliances and partnerships, like long-term relationships with uh, these collaborators that we're bringing together for the event. And I said collaborators because that's what we want to bring on board. We want to find like-minded speakers, experts who want to collaborate, not just for this event, but after the event as well, and maybe years down the track. Uh, and that goes for your speakers, uh, your sponsors, your media partners, how all these people in your industry and in your market that you can now start the conversation with about collaborating, about doing work together, about helping each other's grow each other's business, you know, rising tide, lift all, lift all boats, right? I absolutely believe in that. And yeah. the virtual summit and bringing people together uh, to collaborate on an event, I think is the, is the greatest way to just start that conversation with people in your industry. And you're sh soon going to uncover the people who are, you know, sharks in the waters who are just really thinking about themselves. Yeah. They, they don't want to collaborate. Uh, and it's very obvious, even from, you know, an email conversation or the first um, quick chat you may have about, um, inviting them to collaborate on this event and this event when you're when you're positioning it and creating it you want it to be the a big shift a big game changer in your marketplace maybe it's the biggest event that your you know niche has ever seen right and you can do these events online uh, in a number of ways uh, in terms of attendees it could be 10,000 attendees which would be really almost impossible in person unless you're yeah, you know, hiring a stadium. Right. Uh, but then also the number of speakers or the number of sessions or the topics being covered. There's so many ways to make this uh, a big event that really impacts and changes people's lives. Uh, one of our clients um, is uh, running the Migraine World Summit, helping migraine sufferers worldwide get access to experts that are scattered around the world. Uh, there's not many migraine experts uh, in the world today that really have the expertise and knowledge to help people that are keeping up to date with the, the latest trends and you know mm -hmm. methods drugs that, that are working for people so if you try to get access to these experts like it's one two years wait in line if you can get the referral and it's you know tens of thousands of dollars to just get their advice so right. being able to get access to these yeah, really hard to reach people for people who are really suffering, have a major problem issue in their life need to be solved. You know, do these experts want to be paid? No, they want to help people, right? Do they, should they be paid for their speaking gig? Maybe someone will ask for it. Are they the type of person that you want to collaborate with that 
is it the type of person you want in your community? Is it the type of tribe you're trying to build? And so, you know, as you go about reaching out and finding people, I mean, you've, you've been running a podcast for a long time. Yep. Um, I'm not sure if you've paid any of your guests, but nope. it's, yeah. So it's about that collaborative approach and making sure that you make it a win-win. You, you make sure that your goals are aligned, uh, that you promise, uh, you over deliver on your promise and those expectations that you set uh, are met all along the way. And you build the relationship just with this first event that you pull together. And then, you know, what's the major project that they're working on? What's the biggest yeah. thing that they're working on this year that they may need support or help with? How can you help them? Right. It's, it's that collaborative approach that I think just makes business more fun at the end of the day. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and one of the things we hear is, you know, if you get a celebrity in the lineup, and I can tell you that I've had celebrities on the Business Creators Radio Show. I like to tell people, and folks in the podcasting industry will understand this, John Lee Dumas was on my show. I've also had Larry Winget, who's a friend of mine, and some other people who we would think of as being celebrities, whether globally or in some sort of niche. About eight years ago, when I first launched the Business Creators Institute, in its original iteration, it wasn't a consulting firm. It was actually a, uh, it was going to be a portal for info products. We began list building by doing a series of teleseminars. This is back in the day, and we still did teleseminars. Cool. And uh, what we did a survey. We found out what kind of topics people were interested in. And customer service strategies came up right near the top of the list. And I'm thinking customer service strategies, be a rock star customer service provider. It's thinking, who do I know? Oh, why don't we bring a rock star? So it turns out another one of my really good friends, a name that a lot of people know, and if they don't know his name, they certainly know his song, uh, the, the late Benny Mardonis, God rest his soul and may he rest in power, uh, was excited to do a, an interview with me on how he made the transition from being a top 40 artist to a very successful indie artist and how he maintained a prosperous and lucrative career long after the touring days ended. And it really came down to effective customer service and bonding with your audience. So I had some people working for me at the time and said, oh, that's the dumbest thing. Nobody's going to sign up for that. Why don't you get somebody who knows something about customer service? And I said, no, we're going to do, we're going to work with Benny here because people are going to find this interesting. And here's the feedback I got after we inter interviewed Benny. Um, a few folks said, yeah, I thought he was going to get on. He was going to be like, hey, man, he was going to talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it, he actually showed that he has a foundation or had a foundation in effective customer service and creating customer relationships. The most interesting feedback of all I got was somebody asking if he did consulting in that area, which he didn't. I ran the idea by him and he just wasn't interested in doing it. But it, what my point I make with that is that ultimately people wanted to learn customer service strategies and I just put a little bit of a different spin on it and brought in an expert they normally wouldn't hear from on the topic. So it's great to get a celebrity limelight type name that people will recognize but what that experience also showed me is ultimately they want that celebrity to come through with something that's going to help them otherwise they could just go watch a YouTube video. Yeah, I, I, that's really cool. And it just kind of breaks the mold, doesn't it, as well, with uh, having uh, someone out of the niche, out of the marketplace, bringing a different perspective. But 
as an attendee going, well, you know, what, what could he possibly be bringing to this topic? This is, this is really intriguing. This is interesting for me. I need to show up for this session. Yeah. Here's that thing I bookmarked earlier, and we have just enough time to cover it, I think, as we wrap up here. And it has to do with the unequal participation issue. This comes up when it comes to people hosting virtual summits is they'll put qualifications on it, such as uh, you need to have a list with 5,000 people on it, and you need to show us you have 10,000 social media followers. Now, they usually don't ask for these, is that an engaged list or those engaged followers? They just want to see the numbers. And then there becomes the issue of, and this seems to happen, at least I hear it more from the organizers and from the participants, actually. So they say, well, if somebody has a large list, should I charge them more or less than someone who has a small list? And I've actually heard the argument both ways. Charge the person with a larger list more because, uh, because it's worth more. And I've also heard charge the person with a smaller list more because they're probably going to get more benefit when you split up the names and email addresses when all is said and done. So in dealing with the issue that you may have a group of people presenting on your virtual summit, but they don't come to you equally. They don't all have the same size audience. They don't all have the same size notoriety. How do you finesse that in such a way as to overcome any objections that could be raised by the audience or even a fellow participant who says, what are they doing here? I've got a simple solution to that one. Uh, and it's really about understanding what each uh, speaker expects from their participation. So uh, I go, I'll go back to that question that uh, I, I mentioned earlier, which is, you know, what is the number one most important project you're working on this year? You know, how can I help you with that and figure out a way to make, you know, their lives better to solve a problem for them and help them with their major top, their major project, right? right. This virtual event is, it's just a blip on the radar for them. They, you know, it's not something that they're putting huge efforts or energy towards. In some cases, mm -hmm. they may be more than a speaker. They may be a sponsor or um, maybe hosting uh, a few sessions as, uh, you know, a panel discussions or a Q&A, for instance. But, you know, what is it that they really want to get out of participating in this event? What are their expectations? You know, do they want money? For instance, like, what is it? And then figuring out, well, how can I help them achieve uh, this result? And potentially it is that big project that they're working on. You know, that's, that's where their focus is, what their goal is over the next six months, 12 months is to achieve this target that they've got in their business. Well, let's help them get there. And so whatever their size list is, uh, whatever contribution they do to the event, you know, work hard just to build a relationship with them, keep them happy. Yeah. And, you know, this, this event for them is, you know, it's big for you, but for, for these um, other speakers, it's just a, another event that they're participating in potentially as a speaker. But yeah. How, yeah. How do you, how do you change that mindset? How do you change right. them? And, and it's about that relationship. Until and, yeah. Until proven otherwise, because I said one of the, you know, one of the, the things out there is people say, why well, participate in virtual summits? And I didn't get many new subscribers or I didn't make many sales. So after about the fifth one, they became, they become jaded and they say, yeah, I'll be on your virtual summit. Just tell me where to upload my PowerPoint slides. And here's my bio and here's the description of the session. And what they're going to do is they're going to show up and they're going to give their signature talk. They'll change the slides to, uh, include your logo on it and maybe they'll mention you once or twice just to make it look like they customize it and uh, 
other than that 10 minutes to do that, all they're really going to do is show up and give the presentation. It may be an excellent presentation, but yeah. And I think the work that you're doing is helping us to change those perspectives. And I also see how the model that you gave me can overcome the objection of somebody who feels himself to be a major celebrity saying, what are these nobodies doing on this panel with me? You realize that all that's going to happen is they're going to get my subscribers. What do I get? And so you could take that same conversation. What are your goals? How can we best support you? And you'd just be supporting them at a different level than you supported the up-and-comers who were also on that same lineup. Absolutely. It's so a it's kind of one-size-fits-all. Yeah. It's, it's a, look at it as a collaboration. And the fact that you're inviting someone onto your stage, think of it as just the start of a long partnership over many years. And this event is just the you know, the crux of it where it actually begins and everything else is just going to grow from there. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, is uh, the concern I just, uh, the concern I just shared, I hear that more from organizers bringing it up theoretically than actual situations that happen. I mentioned that mm. John Lee Dumas and Larry Winget have both been on the business creators radio show. And if we had more time, I would tell you that those are two of the easiest gets I've ever gotten. You'd think there'd be 19 layers even to get them to acknowledge that you had an interest in having them on your show. They were the two easiest gets I've ever gotten. Simple. And there's a reason for that. And it really kind of links back to what you said. It's just to focus on what are the person's goals and how do you help facilitate those goals? And in both cases, we had that answer ready. So they were very easy to book and they were amazing interviews. In fact, they're some of our most popular to this day. And I'm looking forward to you joining that lineup of being one of those episodes where they say, wow, that Liam Austin, he really, really turned it around on the virtual summits. And I've made a million dollars as a result of following his model. So as we wrap up here, we have about two minutes left. And I want to give one of them to you. People are listening in. They want to go further with this. What do they do? Yeah, sure. So right now uh, we're helping actually partner with uh, people who want to run the summits, who don't want to be worried about the tech. Maybe they don't have a high ticket offer. Uh, we're looking to partner with uh, select clients to scale to a million dollars by combining a virtual summit with a high ticket offer and yep. scale to a million dollars within 18 months. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can go to milliondollarvirtualsummit.com or virtualsummitclass.com, check out our webinar, fill out the application form and uh, we'll be in touch. Yep, yep, I'm actually, I'm actually on the former link, milliondollarvirtualsummit.com. I'm seeing a couple of our guests and I'm seeing some friends of mine on here. So you keep some really good company, I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing uh, the types of relationships you can build via just uh, reaching out, saying hello, and, and collaborating. And those people there are all collaborators, uh, so really cool people. Absolutely. So I'll say those domains for our listeners one more time. MillionDollarVirtualSummit.com and VirtualSummitClass.com. Two slightly different things, but check them both out and make your decision as a listener what most closely aligns with where you see yourself right now and your vision of where you're going to be in six months and how much closer you can get to having a million-dollar virtual summit. I know I'm interested in one. So, Liam Austin, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an honor and, believe me, an education. Awesome, Adam. This has been fantastic. I've enjoyed the, the conversation too. 
For our listeners, we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.